All right. Well, this morning I'm going to have you turn to two passages. Somebody say something. Somebody yell something to me. No. Okay. We're good. Two, two passages. First one is at the end of Luke. The second one is at the beginning of Acts. Now, if I were going to put together the Bible, not write the Bible, but put it together, we all know that the way the Bible was put together, the, the verse numbers, chapter numbers, things like that, they're not part of the, the divine inspiration and they're done by human humans who helped us try to wrap our minds around the Bible, put it together in a way that was orderly. I would have put these two books together. Luke and Acts were both written by the same guy, Dr. Luke. Acts is kind of like part two of Luke, where Luke focuses on the life of Jesus, the life and death, and, and Acts continues the story with Jesus working through the church. And I would have kind of put Luke as the last gospel, I think, I think if I was putting it together. But I'm sure there's very good reasons why it's not. But you're going to have to, this morning, you're going to have to kind of stick your finger in one place and flip to the other. Um, so Luke 24, verses 50 through 53, the last four verses, and then not quite the first verses of Acts, but soon in the chapter, first chapter, Acts 1, 6 through 11. In my translation, which is the ESV, and it might be different in, even in different translations of the ESV or different editions of the ESV, I have the same heading over both of these. And that heading is simply the ascension. And that's the theme of this morning, the ascension of Jesus and its significance for us. Let's begin by reading these two passages. First, Luke, starting in verse 50. And he led them out, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing, excuse me, blessing God. And now skip through John and get to Acts chapter one, verse six. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way, just the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pause and pray before we continue on. God, as we have read these passages that you have kept for us from your word, in, in many ways, passages that are very familiar to us. We, we know this story. We know this account well. But perhaps we haven't thought about the significance of, of what's represented in this account. This morning I pray that you would just remind us of the greatness and the, 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 the joy that is found in the fact that Jesus has ascended and is seated at your right hand. Help us to understand this with our minds this morning, but help us to understand this in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I will not ask you for a, a show of hands this morning, but if, if I were to ask you for a show of hands, I wonder how many would be raised if I asked if you knew that this morning or this Sunday was Ascension Sunday. 
Now, Johnny mentioned in Sunday school class that this week was Ascension. Technically, that's, that's correct. Ascension Sunday, or Ascension Day is 40 days after Easter. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, spent 40 days on this earth, and then he ascended into heaven. That always falls on a Thursday. I think you said Wednesday. I was Thir- but Thursday. So we don't often think about it. Maybe you were aware of it I, on my Google Calendar. I have, I have an alert that tells me that. I, so maybe you saw it mentioned on social, social media. But even if we knew that it was this week, I wonder how many of us gave it much of a thought. For most of us, we know Christmas. We know Easter. We even know, we know Good Friday. But Ascension Day, that, that's not really on our, our radar. For all of those other days, we have special services. We, we even sometimes have weeks leading up to those services. We have, we have four weeks leading up to Christmas and in the season of Advent. We have a, a season of, of giving up things as we prepare for Easter in the season of Lent. Uh, many churches have a, have a service on Friday of all things. Uh, as hard as it is to get people a church on Sunday, we said let's have a church on, let's have a service on Friday and we have a, a good service, a good Friday service often. But not many that I know of at least do much with Ascension, Ascension Day. And I, th- I think I'm right in saying that the Amish still celebrate Ascension Day. The Amish take off of work, which if you have if you have construction crews where Amish are building your house or building a house for, for your company, it can be really frustrating, especially on a nice day like this past Thursday. It was a beautiful Thursday, and they don't show up to work, and you wonder, what in the world is going on? Why aren't we working on Thursday? What's Ascension Day? But most of us don't give the Ascension Day much more than a passing thought. And I would guess that's not only true of the day, but in some ways true of the events. Just as Christmas and Easter coincide with an event, Christmas, of course, the birth, the incarnation of Jesus, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, Ascension Day coincides with an event. We've been singing about it, the ascension of Jesus that we just read. But what is the significance of that? Many of us, we just think of it kind of as a PS on the life of Jesus. As most of us treat the ascension as little more than a dazzling exclamation point for the resurrection rather than as a new event in its own right. The ascension of Jesus into heaven is something to marvel at. Perhaps it's something to to wonder at, but it's not really something we think deeply about. But listen what the fourth century church father said, St. Augustine says this, for unless the Savior has ascended into heaven, had ascended into heaven, His nativity would have come to nothing. His passion would have borne no fruit for us. And His most holy resurrection would have been useless. You get to hear what He says. His nativity, meaning His birth, His incarnation, the eternal Son of God that we marvel at and celebrate every Christmas, Him becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Augustine says, without the ascension, it it means nothing. His passion, which is his death on the cross, it would have done nothing for us, borne no fruit in our lives, if it hadn't been for the ascension. And his resurrection, well, it would have been useless had it not been for the ascension. Now, that's a pretty provocative statement when you read about it, but I think it's a true one. Here's another Provocative statement made by a current theologian. John MacArthur says, One of the greatest things that Jesus ever did for us was leave. Ascended. 
One of the greatest things Jesus ever did for us was leave. It was in many ways his most magnanimous act. His greatest gift was leaving. The greatest thing that Jesus ever did for us was leave us. Think about that for a second. Do you agree with that? It sounds wrong to us when we hear that. But yet we see a a hint of that. A hint that the disciples might have agreed with that statement when we see the response to Jesus leaving in the two passages that we've reread. You know, at the ascension of Jesus, when we think about the disciples, I, I, my mind, I always kind of make fun of them. They, they, there's, they're standing and they're kind of looking up into the sky. I kind of picture them with their mouth hanging open until an angel shows up and kind of like a, a boss who catches you on social media on your computer and says, get back to work. That's kind of the way I, I picture the disciples here at the ascension. But I read it again this week and, and notice their responses that we find in this passage. And, and this week, I'm, uh, Joan encouraged me to do this and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm scared of giving you one because I'm afraid you're going to think this is going to happen every week, but I'm going to try to do this, uh, a sermon notes. My kids have been, I've been giving them sermon notes, papers to fill out. Um, so that can be helpful if you're already a note taker. That might be less helpful. You might just want to keep writing in your journal, but. But I want you to see that the the response of the disciples to the ascension, and that is that first of all, it was one of great joy. The response of of the disciples to Jesus ascending into heaven was first of all one of great joy, and second of all, one of great obedience. Great joy and great obedience. We see the joy in the gospel account in Luke twenty four, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. With great joy, he uses that very same, those very same words, and we're continually in the temple blessing God. The, the word, the word there, great joy, the words is megas kara. Kara is the word for joy, and it means a, the, the emotion of great happiness and pleasure. Great happiness and pleasure. Now, I don't know if I've ever thought about this before, but what a strange reaction that is. What, what a strange reaction that is to, to Jesus leaving you would think that the response to jesus leaving and disappearing in the clouds would be great sadness jesus is gone think about them after the after the the crucifixion of jesus where they think jesus is gone they're they're devastated but here they're filled with great joy in john chapter 14 when jesus warns them that he's going to leave them he he starts telling them this by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's like when you're a teenager and you you call your mom and you say, now, mom, I don't want you to freak out about this, but it's it's a really bad way to start a statement. I start a conversation and Jesus says, now, I don't want your heart to be troubled, but that's because he knows that their hearts are going to be tempted to be troubled. Their reaction is going to be that they're troubled when Jesus tells them I'm leaving. But Jesus says, I don't want you to do that. I don't want that to be a response. And now as Jesus leaves, we see that 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 is not their response. Their hearts hearts aren't troubled, but instead their hearts are filled with incredible joy. A joy, in fact, that overflows as they go back to Jerusalem, blessing God as they go. Again, because Jesus is gone. The ascension brings the disciples great joy. But it also leads them to great obedience. 
We see it hinted at and alluded to what will happen in the rest of the book of Acts where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When I ascend, this is what will happen. And we read the book of Acts and we see that that is what did happen. That everywhere they went, they were witnesses of Jesus. They, they boldly proclaimed and testified to the risen and ascended Christ. The ascension of Jesus spurred them on to great obedience. Again, maybe a strange response. We, we, we look at the Gospels and Jesus almost kind of has to be, have his, constantly have his eye on the disciples to make sure they're not messing up, make sure they're doing things the right way. Now Jesus goes and, and they are faithful to the end. Great joy, great obedience. 17th century theologian John Owen said that this should be the response. This great joy and great obedience should be the response of every Christian to the ascension of Christ. In fact, he said, it's due to our ignorance of the ascension that we don't live with this great joy and obedience. Here's his exact words. He says, the darkness of our faith in regards to the ascension is the cause of all our disconsolations and most of our weakness and obedience. The darkness of our faith, meaning the dim understanding and the, 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 the neglect, the, the, the infrequency we think about the ascension of Jesus, is the reason for all of our disconsolations, which is just an old-timey word for unhappiness. Because we don't think about the ascension, that is the reason why we are so unhappy. And it's the reason for most of our disobedience. All of our unhappiness and most of our disobedience are due to the fact that we neglect the ascension. And I, I think that's true in our lives. We Again, we, we have all these services geared towards these events, the, the birth, the death, the resurrection, but what about the ascension? We rarely think about it. But this morning I want to think about it, and I want us to see six reasons why the ascension should give, give us great joy and great obedience. Six reasons why the ascension of Jesus is significant for us. And the first reason is this. The ascension of Jesus signifies that the work of salvation is complete. The ascension of Jesus signifies, tells us, proclaims, and, and actually enacts the completion of the work of salvation. When Jesus was, was literally becoming flesh, I, I wrote that down, I had to think about that. When Jesus was in the womb of Mary, becoming flesh, growing and developing as a baby. An angel appeared to Joseph and said that the reason that this is happening, the reason that, that, the, that Jesus is coming to earth is because he has a mission to accomplish. And that mission is that he has come to save his people from their sins. He has come to save their, his people from their sins. And Jesus does not leave before that mission is accomplished. Jesus does not, does not head home and say, I give up, I quit. This is too hard. But he leaves because the mission that he came to accomplish is finished. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says this, Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being saved. 
Our family just finished reading through sections of Exodus and Leviticus in our, our family Bible reading plan. Now that's a, that's really fun. If you if you want to try to do that, and I, and I feel like I'm presenting a false impression because we are not as diligent at this as it may appear. In fact, we're, we have a, a year Bible reading plan that jumps through different um, passages, hitting key passages, and, and we're at week seven in our reading. So we're way behind. We're we're much farther into 2021 than week seven, but we. We're trying to keep going, but we've just finished the, the second half of Exodus in Leviticus, and we've talked about the, the number of sacrifices that needed to be made and the number of, of animals that were killed over and over and over again. Sacrifices needed to be made because over and over and over again, the people sinned and they needed a new sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats would only go so far. In fact, it was, it was simply a reminder of the, the lostness of, it was a reminder of their sin and a pointer to Jesus. And now the author of Hebrews says, but when Jesus comes and when he offered the one sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself, that one act covered for all time, both, both the ones in the present, the ones in the past and the ones in the future. For all time, that one sacrifice Save those who would be saved. You know, we often talk about our, our, our salvation experience and that we, we look to a, a day on earth in our lifetime when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's true. That's when the salvation was applied. But your salvation was accomplished years, thousands of years before you were ever born. The day of your salvation took place on the day that Jesus died on the cross. It was applied to you in your lifetime, but it was accomplished at the cross. And for once, and at one sacrifice for all time, Jesus, Jesus perfected those who are being sanctified. And notice the ascension of Jesus is actually part of the act of redemption. The sitting down of Jesus signifies that the work is now finished. He ascended to the Father, the Father accepted his sacrifice, and Jesus sat down. Mission accomplished. He does not sit down out of disinterest. He does not sit down out of giving up. But he sits down like we would sit down after a long day's work and now now sits down to look back over all that he has accomplished. Jesus sitting signifies the mission has been accomplished. What great joy that should bring all of us. Our salvation has been finished, has been accomplished. Salvation that we could never accomplish on our own. Our works are never enough. But Jesus is enough. He accomplished what we never could. John Flavel says this. He says that if Christ had not ascended, how could we be sure that his payment on the cross made full satisfaction to God? If the last thing we saw was Jesus hanging on the cross, we would never be sure that his death actually accomplished our salvation. And how could we be sure that God now has no more bills to bring in against us? Maybe you've received a bill and you thought, I thought I've already paid that bill and it just keeps coming and coming. And, and sometimes we, we might view our sins that way if we're trying to accomplish them on our own. But Flavel says, because we, we look up and we see Jesus seated at the right hand of God, we know that there are no more bills to be paid. The bill has been paid in full. I love the line of the song. Probably should have sang it this morning, but the others... Crowded out that one. I love the other one so much. But listen to it this week. And if you think about the ascension before the throne of God, 
Opening lines say, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. And sometimes I think we just stop there and think about that statement. What are you going to do when Satan tempts you to despair? And he does it by telling you of the guilt that is still within. You remember that sin that you just did? You, you said you were done with it, but it's still there. And what about that one? You're still struggling with that sin. What are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to argue with him? You might. Are you going to debate him? You could try. But that's not what you should do because we know he's right. There is still guilt within. There, there's still much reason for despair if I'm looking at myself. But the song tells us what we should do, and that is that we should look upward and see him there, the one who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died and ascended, my sinful soul was counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Is the first reason why the ascension of Jesus should drive us to joy and, and propel us to obedience. Because the mission of our salvation has been accomplished. Now it needs to be worked out in a lot. But the, we have been saved through the, through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The second reason is this. The ascension of Jesus tells us that our final home is with the Father. The ascension of Jesus tells us that our final home is not here. As Jesus anticipated his ascension, I noticed this as I was reading the verses about the ascension. I didn't realize how many times Jesus pointed to his ascension. But what he said over and over and over again is, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. You could hear in the repetition his longing to go to the Father. What a reunion that must have been. Can you imagine that day in heaven? You know, we, in these accounts, we see earth's perspective and then we, he's, he disappears in a, in the cloud of glory. But can you imagine if we could keep seeing it from the other side and, and see the ascended Christ go into heaven? Maybe Revelation 5 gives us a glimpse of that. But imagine the reunion. Jesus says in that last passage, he says, I'm going where I was before I came here. And what he means isn't simply that he, he stopped by the Father on his way to Bethlehem. But what he says is, for eternity I, have, I had been with the Father. And now I'm going back. The triune God has, had always been together. And the glory and the splendor of heaven in, in perfect union, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then the unimaginable happened, as Ray Fowler puts it. God the Father sent His Son and, and Jesus left the glories of heaven to enter our broken and sinful world. He left the Father's side to come to our side and He took on flesh to live a human life within this human world. And then He died on the cross for our sins. But now on the eve of His crucifixion, that's where John 7, 16 is, the, the night before He's crucified, He says, I'm going back home. I came from the Father and now I'm going back to him. I'm going home. But then notice what he says after the resurrection. He says, I'm going home. I'm going to the Father. So, so will you. I came from the Father. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. I'm ascending to my God and your God. Just as Jesus ascended to the Father, so will we. 
And as the disciples saw Jesus ascended into heaven, they saw what will one day happen to them, though though not in the same way, not not a glory cloud taking us into heaven. But they saw where they one day will join the Father in heaven with Jesus. Join Jesus in heaven with the Father. One commentator pointed out that we often think about the empty cross and the empty tomb in terms of its significance for us. But he asked the question, what about the empty earth? In terms of Jesus' physical body. Jesus' physical body is, is no longer on the cross that tells us that he has died. They didn't take bodies off the cross before they died. They let the cross do its, do its job and then they would take the body off the cross. Jesus' body is no longer on the cross because he has died for our sins. Every Easter we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. Jesus' body is not there. Reminding us that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. Our, our, our graves will one day be empty. But what about the fact that His body is no longer on earth? Jesus' physical, glorified now body. Empty cross, empty tomb, empty earth in terms of His physical body. It reminds us that just as Jesus physically went to a place, so will we. This earth is not our home. In fact, Jesus says, I'm going... I'm ascending in order to make you a new home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. One of the great verses when we think about the ascension of Jesus. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And as the disciples saw him leaving, they thought "He's, he's going to start the construction process. This place of suffering, this place of pain, this place of tears, this place of fleeting, fleeting joys, we will one day leave behind and go to a place where those things will be no more. That should lead us to great joy, but to great obedience, to, to not allow ourselves to be tied to these things that we are leaving behind. Third reason is this. The ascension of Jesus was in order that the Holy Spirit would always be with us. Jesus left us so the Holy Spirit never would. John 16, verse 7 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Notice the first bit of that statement. It's again, it's a statement that is a provocative statement. It makes us think. And maybe you haven't thought about it before. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send to you the helper. Other translations say the, the advocate or the counselor. The, the word is the paraclete and it refers to the Holy Spirit. The one who is our helper. The one who is our advocate. The one who is our great counselor. And who is God Himself. And one Jesus says in just a few chapters before this, He says, when He comes, He will be with you forever. I'm only here temporarily. I came here to accomplish a mission, but because I accomplished that mission, I am sending you one who will be with you forever. And he says, this is better. This is better. And what do we see after the, not long after the ascension? We see this better thing happening. We see the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost. Which I think we're going to look at next week as next week is Pentecost Sunday. And 
on the first, the Holy Spirit first fell on the, the disciples who were gathered in the upper room praying and waiting for the Spirit. But then at the end of Peter's sermon on that day, he, he cries out, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus told us when he accomplished his mission, when he, when he accomplished the job of, of providing forgiveness of sins, For all who would believe, any who believe will receive the gift. And He has ascended and He has poured out the Holy Spirit. Just great words. So those who received His Word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The promise is fulfilled and it continues to be fulfilled. For all who believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Not only receive His presence, but Paul says we are, we are able to be constantly filled with His presence. We are empowered by Him. We are, we bear the fruit of Him. And we exercise the gifts of the Spirit. But this is only possible, Jesus says, if I leave you. If I ascend to the Father. The Spirit could not be poured out until the, until Jesus down on the throne and said, now is the time to send out your Spirit. We forever live in the time of the Spirit. We, we live now in the time of Pentecost where the Spirit is poured out on us. The fourth thing is this. The ascended Jesus is praying for us. Now when we were in our series of prayer and I looked ahead to, to this Sunday and thinking about the ascension, this was going to be my whole sermon. It was going to be on Hebrews 7.25. Then I read some of those quotes that told us we're not thinking about the ascension enough, so I I broadened it a little more. We've been talking about prayer. I've been calling you to prayer, but here's something even greater than the fact that you're surrounded by brothers and sisters who pray. And that is that Jesus is in heaven praying for you. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Again, I've been calling you to, to prayer and, and that's something I want us as a church to be. We want to be a church. I want you to be surrounded by people who are praying for you. I want you to know that you are in a church where your brothers and sisters and your, your pastors and leaders are praying for you. But here's the reality. Here's the reality is that even if you're in a church of great prayer warriors, you're in a church of human prayer warriors. Which means that we are, at times, we, we forget to pray. At times, we neglect to pray. At times, uh, we fall asleep praying and we haven't got to your name on the list yet. There are times when we don't know how to pray. Even times when we may pray wrongly. But here's the great news. Not only are you surrounded by human prayer warriors, but as a believer, you have a great heavenly prayer warrior. Whoever lives to make intercession for you. He has ascended. And one of the reasons He has ascended is so that He might always be making intercession for you. Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus is praying for you? This morning when you woke up, Jesus was praying for you. Tonight when you lay your head on the pillow with all the anxieties and all the uncertainties of your life swirling around you, remember that Jesus is praying for you. Romans 8.34 says, Because of this, who can condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Now, this doesn't merely mean that he's praying for you. His, his very presence is a prayer for you. His very presence at the right hand of the Father is an intercession on your behalf. But Jesus is, is praying for you. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, I want you to know something. I want you to know what's going on, what's been going on behind the scenes. Peter, here's the reality. Satan has been asking for you, Peter. He's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Peter, he wants to see what you're made of. And we all know what the devil's going to find if he sees what Peter's made of at this point. That is that Peter's not made of much. He crumbles quickly. He, he falls apart easily. He, he blows up instantly. I'm sorry, that was, that was my name there, not Peter. But, but Jesus says, I, I want you to know something, Peter. I've been praying for you. That's a good verse just to stop and think about and meditate on. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We looked at Peter's weakness in the trial and the death of Jesus. And maybe you wondered, how did Peter's faith not completely fall apart? Here's the answer. Jesus was praying for him. As Jesus was put on trial, as he was enduring the beatings, as he was hearing Peter's denial, as he was hanging on the cross, he was praying for Peter. It's an incredible reality, but believer, that is your reality. Robert Murray McShane says, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Oh, if we could only get a, get a, get a glimpse, hear a piece of the, the conversation taking place in heaven. But McShane says, Whether you hear it or not, know that it's true. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus ascended to pray for us. Jesus ascended into heaven to take his place on the throne. This is where many of our songs this morning centered on. The ascension of Jesus, the enthronement of Jesus. Jesus ascended to rule and to reign. The image of Jesus ascending into the the glory cloud reminds us of the prophecies of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, the looks to the ancient of days that we sang about. And he writes, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him. And to him, this one like the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and His kingdom is one that will, shall not be destroyed. And now the ascended Christ, the one like the Son of Man, has come through the Ancient of Days and He has been given dominion. He has been given glory and He has been given a kingdom that will not be destroyed. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. His sitting down shows that he has conquered, or as First Peter says, that he has placed under his feet 
who has gone to heaven is the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. They have been subjected to Him. And one day, Philippians 2, as Jose read, every knee will bow before Him. Every tongue will confess. That reality is secure. Jesus has won. He is wearing the crown and He is now seated on the throne waiting for the day until His enemies are made a footstool under His feet. 1 Corinthians and Hebrews 1 both remind us of this. One day this week I was scrolling through social media and I I saw a headline of a blog by a pastor named Scotty Smith. And, you know, social media can be a really dark and depressing place. Uh, But one of the ways you can redeem your social media feed is by following people like Scotty Smith. And every day Scotty Smith posts a prayer that is prayed in response to a passage of scripture and the prayer for this day whatever day this probably was ascension day but it was a response to one of the scriptures describing jesus on the throne and the the heading of this prayer was simply this on a throne not in a hammock i'd ask kayleen how you say that because i say hammock and i know you you're not going to know what i'm talking about a hammock on a throne not in a hammock And that title was all I needed to read. Jesus is in heaven, ruling on a throne, not resting in a hammock. He did not ascend into heaven to go on vacation. He did not ascend into heaven to kick back with a hat covering his face as he took a nap, not to be disturbed by his children. But he ascended into heaven to rule and to reign. This is the reason, a reason for great joy and great obedience. Obedience because we know that he is the Lord. He is the Lord of this world, but He is the Lord who has redeemed us and purchased us and claimed us as His own. This means that we are fighting on the winning side. We know the outcome. As as bleak and as dark as it might seem in the midst of the battle, we know the final score. Why would we not joyfully obey? Why would we tire and give up? We know that Jesus wins. Our labor is not in vain. What political party can promise you that in exchange for your allegiance? What, what job offer can, can promise that as a benefit? If you just work long enough, here's your eternal reward. We're serving the winning side. Our labor is not in vain. What greater reason for wholehearted obedience and devotion? But what great reason for hope and for peace and for joy? No matter the trial you are enduring, it will not have the last word. No matter the suffering, it will one day be no more. No matter the opponent, it will one day bow the knee to the ascended Christ. It already is sounding the death rattle. And it will soon take its last breath. He has won. He is ruling. And He reigns. Now Hebrews gives us this consolation and reminds us, because we might hear that and we say, well, wait a second, it sure doesn't seem like that. Hebrews 2 says this, You made Jesus, Him, you made Him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them, them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, which is Jesus and His kingdom, which we're a part of, And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. And again, we look at that and we say, wait a second. 
Has the author of Hebrews read the morning paper? Has he seen what's going on in my life? But he continues and says this, Yet at the present we do not see everything subject to them. But what we do see is this, we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, but now is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Though you don't see everything subject to Jesus yet, when you look up to heaven and you see Jesus, you see the scars of his suffering, you see the one who suffered and died, and you remember that as bleak as things look, That was the very moment of victory. And though things may look bleak, though we may be discouraged and think that God has given up, though we may even be tempted to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? When we look up and we see Jesus, we are reminded that He has won the victory on the darkest day of human history. And He is bringing about His victory in your dark days. Finally, the ascended Christ will return. The ascended Christ will return. And he'll return as king and judge. So what the angels said to the disciples as they ascended, they said, know this, the Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's coming back in the same way you saw him go. And with those words, we don't have the overlapping of, of what was said when, but I have to think with those words, the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. You can imagine them shouting out, He's coming again. He's coming again. But we've got work to do. In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus left is because there is work to do. Salvation has been won, but now it needs to be applied. The, the message needs to be, to be declared far and wide. That's our mission. That's why the Holy Spirit has been poured out. But we aren't to stand around looking at the sky wondering, well, maybe that's the, there, maybe that's his toe. Maybe I can just begin to catch a glimpse of him. No, he's promised he's coming back. He's promised he will take us to be with him forever. That is certain. But as we wait, we have work to do. We have a job to complete because when he returns, he is not coming as the suffering servant, but he is coming as the ruling king to judge. He will come once and for all to abolish injustice. He will come to put an end to sin and suffering. He will come to establish His reign of peace and justice and righteousness forever. He will come. As we see Jesus ascended into heaven, we should be filled with great joy because He is coming again. Any moment, right now, the trumpet could sound. Any word, any last, anything you say could be the last thing you say, the last thing you do before he comes. He is coming again. Live your lives with that awareness. Why should the ascension fill us with great joy? Because the work of salvation is complete. Our final home is being made ready for us with the Father. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and and Jesus said he's never going to leave us. Jesus is praying for us. And He's on the throne ruling and reigning. And one day soon, He's returning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these promises. We thank You for the reminder of the ascension of what it has been accomplished, what it has, what it means for us. 
Father, as we think about this, may it not be just a nice idea, some nice things we write down and and like to think about, but may it spur us on, may it dispel from us all our unhappiness, all our discontent, all our anxiety and worry, and may it drive us to joy, may it drive us to obedience, serving the risen Christ, the ascended Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, let me invite you to stand and let me send you out with these words from Revelation chapter 1. Not a typical benediction. Most benedictions come from the end of a letter. This comes from the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, kind of in the middle of a statement. But these are great words to know. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Amen. Go in peace. You are dismissed. Go serving the ascended Christ.